May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I wasn't sure how to start the sermon this week. As I got nearer to the end of the week, I was kind of in a panic about how to to start the sermon off. And then on Friday morning, before I got to uh, church to work on the sermon, I was in Walgreens, and I had a revelation. Actually, I heard a song, and it it spoke to exactly what we're going to talk about today. And the course of the song was, everyone wants to love, and everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to love, and everyone wants to be loved. And I looked it up, it's by a lady named Ingrid Michelson. Everyone wants to love, everyone wants to be loved. That's a deep desire. Perhaps that's the deepest desire of the human heart. And God has put that desire in us. And ultimately, that points to Him. The relationships that we have in this life are reflections The loving relationships that we have in this life are reflections of that ultimate love that He calls us to. A love between us and God, our Creator. In our Gospel reading, Jesus is talking about the love between Him and His followers. And as I said last time, last week, at this point in the Gospel of John, what Jesus is trying to do is encourage his disciples for the difficult road ahead. He's going to leave them. He's getting ready to enter his passion, his betrayal, arrest, suffering on the cross. He has predicted that they are going to fall away. He has told Peter, the bravest, the boldest among them, that even Peter is going to deny him. So he said, this is going to get bad. But he's encouraging them in John 14 with some promises that He makes to sustain them and to help them to persevere and to stay faithful to Him after it's all over. And this is part of the context here of this discourse here when He begins to talk to them and encourage them about the love that He has for them and He challenges them to stay faithful in their love. To their Lord. So I want to look at three aspects of this, this love relationship between a disciple and Christ. Okay? And the first is our love for Him is evidenced by our obedience to Him. Our love for Christ is evidenced, the proof of that love is our obedience to His Word, to His commandments. So he makes an emphasis of this in this section. If you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then later on, and we don't have it in the bulletin, but in verse 24, whoever does not love me, the flip side of this, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We 
keep the words of Christ, we treasure the words of Christ, we seek to obey the word of Christ because it's the word of God. It's the word of the Father who sent Jesus the Son. So, immediately we, we, we see here in Jesus' teaching that loving Jesus is more than, than saying, I love you, Lord. And we sang that song, and it's right to sing to the Lord, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And it's good and right for us to do that. But it goes beyond just singing, I love you, Lord. It's more than saying it. It's more than singing it. It's more than just identifying ourselves as a Christian. But it's actually seeking to then obey the Word of Christ. To keep the commands of Christ. And I think it's instructive that Jesus uses that word keep because behind that word is this idea of guarding something, watching over something that is precious, that is valuable. You know, all of us probably have, or most of us at least, keepsakes. Have something in our house to to remember somebody by. a, A treasured possession that links us to a person And the reason we keep it is because we value that relationship. And it helps us to remember that person and to to have a connection with them. I have my grandfather's watch, for example. My grandmother gave it to me when I was 18 after he passed away. It's not a very valuable watch at all, wristwatch. But when I look at it, I treasure it because I remember him. It's a keepsake. And so the question for us is this. Are Jesus' teachings Are His words keepsakes for us? Do we treasure? Do we watch over? Do we guard it? Is it on our lips? Is it in our hearts? Do His words guide our our life? Are we seeking to obey His Word? Now, it's important to note this. It's not that we qualify as Jesus' disciples by obeying His Word. That's not the qualification. The qualification is simply that He calls us. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. That's the starting point. His gracious call. And then, yes, we do have to respond and obey His call. But, that, but it's, it's a character quality of the disciple that we are people who seek to obey His Word. We treasure His Word. We guard it. And it guides and directs our path. And by His grace, He helps us to, to live it out. We don't do it perfectly. But that's a character quality of a disciple, is somebody who keeps his commandments. And it demonstrates, and it just kind of makes sense if you think about it. You know, um, when we care about another person, we care about their words. We care about what they ask us to do. This week, I celebrated 19 years of marriage with Josie. So, for some of you, that's just getting started. We're just getting started. But I have learned a few things in 19 years of marriage. And one is that I need to take her word seriously. And if she asks me to do something, Ben, take out the trash, I better not ignore that. Because if I do ignore it, and occasionally, of course, I do slip, but if I do ignore what she's asking me to do, she gets this crazy idea that somehow I've moved her down on my priority list. And I'm not valuing her as much as I ought to do. So how we respond to another person's words demonstrates, indicates, is a sign of how much we we care for them. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus says, this is a sign of a disciple's love, that he keeps 
my commandments. And so we can just ask ourselves this question, how well are we doing? How well am I doing in treasuring what Christ has taught? Um, In the context of this upper room discourse, some of the last words that Jesus gave his disciples in John uh, before his passion, he gave a new commandment, didn't he? And he said, this is my commandment. This is a new commandment that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. So there's a commandment that Jesus has just gave. It's fresh in the disciples' mind. And surely their minds started to think, well, this is something that we've got to keep. This is something we've got to remember. Of course, he promises later on that the Holy Spirit's going to help them to remember all these things that he's taught them. But that's, that's what we need to do. When we come across the commandment of Christ, we need to not just let it go in one ear and out the other, but then we ask, Holy Spirit, help me to apply this. How, how can I grow in loving one another? How can I grow in loving one another in the church and in my family? That, that is a mark of a disciple of, of Christ. It's a demonstration of our love to Him. But then Jesus goes on and He talks about the love that he has for his disciples and the way that he's going to demonstrate this love. He's going to give those who follow him some gifts, some precious gifts. The world cannot give these gifts. And one is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And the other is the gift of everlasting life. The gift of eternal life. Gift giving is a sign of love, isn't it? And Jesus is talking here about some gifts he's going to give his disciples. He says, I will ask, verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper. Jesus has been their helper. Jesus has been with them for some three years and He has been their teacher. He has encouraged them. He has taught them about God and shown them the power and love of God. He has been their helper. Now He's told them He's going away. That puts them in a state of anxiety and panic. So he says, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another helper. And that is the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit here the Spirit of Truth. And the Holy Spirit, he says, for his disciples is not going to be simply alongside of them. But the Holy Spirit is going to be an internal presence. The Holy Spirit is going to take up residence in their life and be a source of strength, internal strength and power. He says, He will dwell with you and will be with you. You know Him, for He dwells with you, rather. For He dwells with you. Right now, Jesus is saying, the Spirit is dwelling with you and He will be in you. He will be in you. So the gift of the indwelling Spirit of God is what he's talking about here. And, and I don't think sometimes that we recognize how precious the gift of the Holy Spirit is. You know, in, um, in Islamic theology, I just came across that this week, came across this this week, there's no parallel to this doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Because in Islam, God is so transcendent. God is so other that God would never take up habitation in the poor hovel of the human heart he's just too transcendent he's too other in fact 
Muslim scholars look at this passage and they say, you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about Muhammad. Muhammad's the other helper who's going to come. That's how they make sense of this. But that actually doesn't make sense because Jesus is talking here. It's very clear He's talking about an indwelling presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit. So this is a great gift that we have as Christians. Through the Holy Spirit we can know the the power of God. We can experience the love of God. The strength of God. The presence of God. Here's what somebody wrote about the work of the Holy Spirit. I found this very helpful. I'm just going to quote here. The Spirit makes us through love God's friend. Spirit makes us through love God's friend. The Spirit enables liberty. The Spirit empowers prayer. The Spirit gives us freedom from sensuality. How many people are in bondage to sensuality? The Spirit gives us freedom from sensuality. And finally, the Holy Spirit gives us an instinctual mode of living in the kingdom of God. Through the internal dwelling of the Spirit, it becomes an instinct that we live according to the kingdom of God. Again, not perfectly, but because the same Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwells in us, we grow to be more and more people who walk according to the values of the kingdom. The great gift of the Spirit. Jesus says, I will give to you. It's a gift of love. The Spirit is a gift of love. And then that other gift that Jesus mentions, a gift of life. This is also a reflection of God's love for us in Christ, that He gives us eternal life. Jesus says, because I live, this is verse 19, the end of verse 19, because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. This is a major theme in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the giver of eternal life. You know, it's John 3.16. If you believe in Him, you'll have eternal life. You won't perish. But it's all throughout the Gospel of John that the Son has authority to give life. That the Father has given the Son the authority to give life. And it's... It's in John chapter 11. This famous uh, scene where he's at the tomb of of Lazarus. And he says to Martha, 11.25, John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die ultimately. There's a physical death. But Jesus is saying, Beyond the physical death, there is life in Him. Only God can promise this. With all of our technology, we haven't been able to out-tech death. Right? We haven't been able to outsmart it, to cheat death. Now, there are people who try. There are, there are technologies that, that try to cheat death. There's cryonics. Is that how you pronounce it? Cryonics? Where you preserve your body in the hopes that someday... Uh, Medicine will be able to repair the dead cells. And I looked that up, and and the the cheapest uh, program out there for cryonics is $28,000. It goes up to the $200,000. But uh, the $28,000 does not cover transportation or standby costs. 
I'm not sure what it means, standby cost. But, um, but there's cryonics that try to cheat death. There's a movement called transhumanism. Transhumanists believe that the body is essentially a machine, the brain is a computer, and the hope is that through technology someday we can upload our brains and upgrade our bodies. You know, these folks, they have something right. They have something right. I think that the diagnosis is right, and that is that death is a great enemy. And it's a terrible enemy and, and an affront to, to our dignity as human beings, in a sense. But it's part of being a creature of God. But death is a great enemy. I think they have the right diagnosis, but they have the wrong cure. Because only God can give life. Only God can defeat death. And there's only one person that's done it. The risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it's on the basis of the resurrection that we can have hope. That when He says, I will give you life. Because I live, you also will live. It's on the basis of the resurrection that we can believe what He said. And it's on the basis of the work of the Spirit of God who is life that we can trust that this is true. Did you notice in the in the reading from Acts that the Apostle Paul, he appeals to the resurrection of Jesus Christ to say this is why we worship the God of Jesus Christ. And this is why we believe that Jesus Christ is the judge of the world. Because, he says in verse 31, there's a day that's coming when God is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He's appointed. Okay, who's the man that He's appointed? It's the man he raised from the dead. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So that's why we put our hope in Christ and in these promises and in these words. Well, so where does this all lead us? We're called into a relationship of love with God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And a mark of that is that we treasure the Word of Christ. May we be a church that continually treasures the Word of Christ. And then an evidence of Jesus' love for us as His followers is the gift of the Holy Spirit and this promise of eternal life through His death and resurrection. Where does this all lead? Well, he says at the end of our passage, He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What's the reward of love? More love. It's to, love itself is the reward, and the more you love, the more you experience love. We know that in our personal relationships. The reward of love is more love. The reward of knowledge is, is to know more. And that in and of itself is a reward. The two highest activities, I think you can make an argument, the two highest activities of human beings is to love and to know. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you, disciples, into this relationship of love with my Father and with me and of knowledge. You will know me more and more as you follow me in this way. What wonderful promises we have in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to remind you of the context here before we wrap up. But um, the context is 
These disciples that are downcast. These disciples that feel like perhaps everything is just unraveling around them. They put their hope in Jesus the Messiah and He's told them now He's going away, He's going to be crucified, He's going to suffer. But Jesus is strengthening them, encouraging them by talking to them about how much He loves them and this invitation to know Him and the Father and to develop this relationship of love through the Word, through following His Word. So I think as they heard these words, they were encouraged. I think their hearts must have been stirred up. I think they they must have had an increased appetite to know this kind of fellowship that Jesus is talking about. And my prayer is that that's happened for you this morning. That this teaching of Jesus has stirred your heart to know Christ more, to love Him Christ, to love Christ more. You know, that, that song was right that I heard in Walgreens. Everyone wants to love, everyone wants to be loved. It's the deep desire of the human heart. And thank God He's made a way for us to know the ultimate love through Christ His Son. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that You would help us to have this desire to, to grow in love, to, to love Your Word more, to take Your Word more seriously into our lives, to treasure Your Word, to live by Your Word. I pray, God, that if we're here this morning and, and we honestly can admit that, that perhaps we've let other things replace our love for You and our desire for You, I pray that we could come to the place where we say, Lord, increase my desire for You. I admit that I don't, don't love You as, as I should or as I once did. Fan the flames of my love for You. We thank You, Lord, that You've demonstrated Your love for us in so many ways. And we thank You for these precious promises. May they become more and more a reality in our life. For Your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen.